Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast, by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Cult of Hockey, and I'm here today with Kurt Levins. Hello, Kurt. Hello, doing my best Rusty Staub in the place of uh, mm. David Staples today. Yeah, I think Dave and Lily are off skating, are skiing today. So they uh, are taking a bit of a deserved break. I think Dave has done about... 78 of the podcasts or something like that this year so yeah both way up there uh anyway uh thanks for uh thanks for chipping in i hope you got to enjoy the game out there on pender island as much as i enjoyed it here in st albert i did it's a, a real switch from david and, and and his and his family skiing i was cutting the grass before the game oh. <laughs> <laughs> close um, but yeah but yeah close but did enjoy the game and and uh for, for, for a game against, you know, a not much of a competitor, really, in the San Jose Sharks, I thought we saw a lot of good things and some special things as well. Yeah, I thought the game, it was quite a competitive first period. And what I felt, uh, even from through the TV, was that sort of special feeling. And you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, Kurt, when as a home fan of a failed season, the very last home game is nonetheless something of a marker. You know, you, you go to that last game, you sort of try and enjoy the game, you get into it, and the team tries to get into it. And, you know, for a period or so, uh, I thought the Sharks did a pretty good job competing. And then the Oilers gradually broke them down. And uh, by the end, we could see uh, that the two teams were very, very far apart in quality. Uh, not to mention, you know, it, San Jose was three or four or five players into their depth list, as opposed to Edmonton firing on almost all cylinders right now. Only Ryan McLeod missing of the roster that most people would, well, I guess, and Cody Cece today, pardon me, but Ryan McLeod missing for this last while from the team that we would like to see start the playoffs. He would be on that team. Uh, but uh, they... Uh, uh, they rolled up out a more than good enough team to uh, handle the Sharks, even without uh, Cody Cece. And uh, they had to mess around a little bit with their decor, but uh, nothing anybody couldn't handle, well, with one small exception, but we'll talk about that down the road a bit, because we're going to start with good things, and we're going to take two of them each. So uh, uh, I'm going to say, why don't you go ahead first, Kurt, and tell me what you liked as your first good thing today. Okay, um, the first good thing that I'll pick up of my couple today will be Matthias Ekholm. Um, Matthias Ekholm, he of the plus six rating today. Um, he is plus 25 since he has joined the Edmonton Oilers. And over an 82-game schedule, that would prorate out to, um, I think it's a 108 wow. over an 82-game season. Um, you know, it's amazing when you think back, Bruce, about all the conversations we had and all the articles we wrote about who would be the right defenseman for the Oilers to pick up. And I think at best, it, certainly in the early going, Matthias Ekholm was perhaps a fond thought. Um, but I think a lot of other names dominated for a long time, and he kind of came up the middle, if you will, right at the mm -hmm. end. But my Lord, what a fit he has been. <laughs> um, arguably he has been our best defenseman since his arrival, but I mm -hmm. think the real win is the guys around him have gotten noticeably better with his presence. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just the obvious one, 
Evan Bouchard, who is plus four today. And and Bouchard, did I say he has, I think that's 17 points since Ekholm arrived, something like that. That's uh, what like, they were saying, yeah. Yeah, like he's really on a roll. Uh, and as you know, I wrote last week uh, in my Nine Things article about Darnell Nurse and how, you know, he went from some nights playing 23, 24, 25 minutes a night. So he's only yeah. played over 24 minutes um, three or four times since Ekholm's arrival. Nineteen games it, ago, yeah. Yeah, right. And I think it's really noticeable. You know, I, I, I think that Darnell is such a physical specimen and such an elite skater. He's capable of playing 24, 25 minutes a night. The question is, should he? And when you see the quality of a game that Darnell, Darnell Nurse turns in, when he only has to play 20 minutes like he did tonight, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, he's, he's, he really does go up a notch. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, all those other players deserve credit for, for stepping up because when the opportunity comes to you, you still have to be good. Um, but the one common thread runs through all these guys in my eyes, and that's the presence of Matthias Ekholm. Not, and not just on defense either. Like, look at the pass. Oh. The spin-around backhand pass he made on the Zach Hyman goal. Yeah. And that was only one of, of, of a few, you know, high-end offensive plays that he made on, on the day. I had no clue he was this capable of a two-way defenseman. Right. And what a joy. Uh, that's the word I'll use. What a joy it is to watch him play on the Oilers blue line game in and game out. It's just fabulous. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, uh, uh, I always kind of saw him as sort of an offensive wild card with Nashville that he was capable of doing stuff from time to time. Uh, but let's face it, Nashville, when he did something, he'd pass it to Ryan Johansson or Cody glass, uh, or maybe Philip Forsberg but he wouldn't pass it to Connor McDavid like he did on that play early in the first period where McDavid passed it to uh, Ekholm in the neutral zone. Ekholm took it in and uh, took it over near the boards and, and sort of delayed while McDavid caught up and then he just slipped this little 10-foot pass into McDavid's general area and all of a sudden it's McDavid on the goalie one-on-one. And, you know, just a very smart uh uh, disciplined play there by him to hold the puck for the right amount of time. And he did the same on the goal, held the puck long enough for the pass receiver to get in a good spot. And then he hit him. And then the pass receiver had a, you know, an excellent chance on goal. He also had one himself where he burst in and took McDavid's pass and drilled a hard wrist shot. And this was, I think maybe the first scoring chance of the whole game. Yeah. That was short he side. Was, he, almost, he was almost just beat on him. it. Yeah. Just on. Well, Kurt, you you, uh, you uh, talked about uh, his his plus twenty five with the Oilers. Well, here's the funny thing: Oilers on the season. If you click on the plus minus, and all these guys with eighty games played, number one on the team for the year, Matthias Ekholm, plus twenty five, <laughs> followed by Darnell Nurse, plus twenty three in eighty games, Connor McDavid, plus twenty two in eighty games, uh, Vincent Deharnay, plus fifteen and 34 games, which is really mm. impressive. Yep. And then, you know, on down the line, they got a whole bunch more guys that don't plus 13, 12, 11, 9, and so on. Uh, but uh, Ekholm has just zoomed right past everybody in a month. Yep. <laughs> it's incredible. And he was even, I think, or plus one even, even when, in Nashville. when he left Nashville. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, well, he's in a better better place now. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> did he ever land? <laughs> did he ever land in a good spot where that, where he's the perfect fit? Oh, and as you say, yeah. it's it's not offense and it's not just defense, but defense is part of it. And he's uh, very good at closing down uh, uh, dangerous looking situations and uh, very smart with the puck along the boards under pressure and stuff. And and. Uh, his uh, veteranness shines through, and there we are. What can I say? Four years under Ken Hall and four years, the order's first trade has been for a veteran defenseman, and this year it's a home run. Absolutely. Right? This, this year, this year it's Chris Chelios that he got in in Detroit as his sort of signature trade. Well, he did that all the time in Detroit too. Traded for a veteran defenseman practically every year. Yep. And you know whether it was Jerry Slager or, or uh, Larry Murphy, know, yeah, or some kind of depth guy, or yeah. it was uh, uh, you know I mean the Chelios was the showpiece uh, uh, trade, or the uh, Brad Stewart trade is another one. I mean mm-hmm. it's just what he focuses on. And this year, Grand Slam home run. I'll even say at this point. I mean obviously the playoffs will tell us more, but. Uh, the man he got has playing inspired hockey, and he's inspiring the players around him. To this point, Bruce, do you think that is Ken Holland's finest trade as Oilers general manager? Oh, as the Oilers GM? Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. Absolutely. And, I mean, obviously the jury is out for a while on the, you know, the assets they gave up. If Reed Schaefer sure. turns out to be a Hall of Famer, you know, maybe we'll think twice about it. But mm-hmm. at this moment, in terms of... He's got to go for it now during the McDavid dry settle window. Well, he went for it, and uh, yep, and he uh, he made two good trades. I'm really liking uh, uh, Nick Bugstad as well, especially at 450k. Oh yeah, talk <laughs> talk talk about bang for your buck, hey. And and when yeah. Ryan McLeod gets back, what a nice problem to have. Who do you mm-hmm. put at three? I mean, you could you could go McDavid McDavid. Dry saddle Nugent Hopkins and one of those guys. Like there's an abundance of depth at center, which is what good organizations have. Yeah, well, they're getting by right now, and they're doing the uh, they're doing the eleven uh, seven sometimes, and they're doing twelve six. But I think when McLeod gets back, they'll go with twelve six. Think so. I too. think he's a uh, he's an upgrade on either uh, Broberg or Shore, who've kind of been shuttling in and out for each other. And I think if everybody's available, you'll find McLeod in and you'll find Shore and Broberg on the sort of first replacement yeah. uh, team. So, Agreed. So let's turn on to my good thing. And uh, I would say 150. Holy moly. <laughs> now, this is my number. It's my good thing, my first good thing. And that's uh, Connor McDavid achieving today and then passing through the 150-point plateau to 151. Uh, becoming the sixth player in NHL history to ever achieve the feat. And he's already passed, uh, today passed Bernie Nichols, who had 150 bang on the nose in his one surreal season uh, after Gretzky got traded to Los Angeles. And he's one behind Phil Esposito for fourth. And he's four behind uh, Steve Eisenman for third. And then he's 48 behind Mario Lemieux for second and 64 behind Wayne Gretzky for first. So I don't think he'll be overtaking those two gentlemen, but everybody else is fair game. And here's one, this this one's just for, for Oilers fans and just for fun. Uh, but 
of the uh, of these six different guys that have the 150 point seasons. Uh, Wayne Gretzky has nine, uh, Marilyn Mew four, and all the other guys one each. Hmm. Well, in other words, in the history of the NHL, it's, it's been done 17 times, and Wayne Gretzky did it nine times, and every other player in the history of the league combined have done it eight times. <laughs> <laughs> so there's uh, another sort of standard Gretzky in another realm statistic for uh, all you people who have uh, uh, maybe forgot or didn't know how great, how dominant a player he was for such a long period of time as yeah. to uh, just uh, just have just total separation on the rest of the league for many years. The record setter was on on his horse from the first shift today, wasn't he, Bruce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was making a beeline for the net. I noticed uh, he led the team in shots. Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, McCain did, but he led the lead in sh- shot attempts, and he had four takeaways in this game. He was just all over the puck, and one of those takeaways, at least, well, it led to his own goal that was 150th point. He stole it behind the net, and he shoveled it out in front. To his line mates on the fourth line, as as he would be with uh, uh, Fogel and Ryan, and they were able to somehow bang the puck in his general direction. I think Fogel was able to nip it over there, and, and yep. uh, uh, McDavid slammed it in the short side. But th- this is the beauty of uh, of, of uh, Coach Woodcroft's 11-7 system. The way they have it de- designed is they just have a fourth line with a hole in the middle. And they have all these choices. You can have Drysaddle, they can have McDavid, they can have Nugent Hopkins, they can have McLeod typically. Uh, and nowadays they can have Bukestad take an extra shift there just to make sure those guys get in the game. And what Woody's been doing to get them in the game, a lot of games you'll notice with the 11 forwards, the 10 and 11 start the game. On the, they, they start, it'll be Fogel and Ryan, or it'll be Costin and Ryan typically, and it'll be McDavid or Drysaddle. So those guys are hardly forgotten, you know, extra parts that don't get off the bench. Like you used to have the 11, for, 11 forwards and five defensemen, and the 10 and 11 guys were penalty killers, and they might sit there, turn to stone over the course of a night. Yep. yep. But these guys get in there right away and right from the first shift. And I mean, you're talking about fourth-line players, except for these are good players, and also except for, obviously, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are anything but fourth-line players. So right from the get-go, you're, you know, you've got a good line out there. Yeah. And so and those guys are involved, and then frequently uh, Woody will do the same thing in the second period and the third period. And that basically guarantees these guys are sort of in the, in the rotation, and they're going to get their minutes, even if the lines sort of narrow down to nine for part of a period or, you know, uh, that's a stretch of the third period or whatever, they they will have gotten their time. And today, I believe we had every single forward uh, over, geez, looks like uh, <laughs> a forward was uh, 10.45 was the lowest. And next lowest was 14 minutes. I mean, they really, they really uh, used everybody. Well, and you know, Bruce, day. A lot of people, and I think quite rightly, think that the 11 and 7 is a real advantage from from a blue line standpoint because mm-hmm. you can really pick and choose and spot in your defenseman where you want to spot him in. Yeah. I would submit to you that the 11 and 7 makes that forward group better even, even before the game starts because there's a real competition for those spots because mm-hmm. on a lot of nights, you're not just 
slotting in with a couple other fourth line plugs. Right. You know, the battle there is knowing you're going to get shifts with 20, 29 and 97. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once McLeod is back and, you know, Holloway is just on fire in the American League right now. Once yeah. you get to the playoffs, I mean, think of the battle between like a half dozen good players for those fourth line spots, because the incentive is I'm going to get shifts with those two guys. Right. So yeah, I, I, I really think there's multiple advantages to it. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, different ways of playing it. The extra, the extra space can be a winger, or it can be a center, it can be a four C, or as they did last year in the in the uh, LA series, it was a two C that they left open, and they had like their second line was Kane, uh, Hyman, and X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it meant that McDavid, when he played his extra shifts, when he wasn't playing with. Uh, with Drysaddle and Nuge, he was playing with Kane and Hyman. Stop yeah. that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just different permutations and, and combinations. And I think Woody is uh, is very, very smart at how he deploys it. Like on the back-to-back this week, he went 11-7 in the first game. And then against Anaheim, they, they really needed that first game. Then against Anaheim, and after all of, you know, McDavid and Drysaddle had played 23, 24 minutes, on the second night he went 12-6 and he just rotated the lines and those guys didn't get the extra shifts because they you know they didn't need another 22 or 24 minute game they needed the orders to win a game where they played 18 minutes and that's exactly what happened yeah yeah no you know watching mcdavid today and there's a few shifts that they they just look like the harlem globetrotters out there you know and and san jose just did not have an answer and around and around and around they went Sweet Georgia just, Brown. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, look, there's Curly in the corner dribbling away. And it's uh, it was something to behold. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to blow out my uh, microphone here. <laughs> the tune. So anyway, that was uh, it's fun when they got that going. And clearly, I mean, there's a huge divide between Oilers and some of these teams they're playing. You can't take too, too much. Uh, away from a game like this, because you're not going to see a team like San Jose in the playoffs. I, I wouldn't imagine in any game yep. in the playoffs. But what I like is that the teams, that's not, you know, they're not slowing down. They're not saying, well, let's play down to this level because we can. They just took it to them today and, and decisively won. And uh, on to the next. Speaking of which, on to the next good thing. Kurt, your second good thing. Uh, my second good thing is the time that the organization's depth defenseman got today, uh, because I think today's game was probably more about game 83 than it was about yeah. game 80. Um, you've been watching hockey for even longer than me, Bruce. I think we both know that the Stanley Cup playoffs are often a battle of attrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head a Stanley Cup winner that won it with 6D. I can, um, but the, only one. You're gonna the probably, L.A. Kings of 2012. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had the same 6D for all 20 games. I think it took them to win it, and it was, but, it, was it jumped off the page. It's like this never happens, but it yeah, for them. but but rare, right? Because it's 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 such a it's such a a, a tough slog. Inevitably, you're going to run into injuries, or like look at last year, you like with Nurse, you run into a suspension. Like it's. Uh, it can be any number of things, and all of a sudden, you've got to get into your depth defenseman. Um, and, right. and I think that 
you know, Philip Broberg, I think, is automatically your seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw him score a goal tonight, and I saw him get 14 minutes on both the left side and the right side, mm -hmm. which, which for my money, that's exactly what you need to see Philip Broberg getting for these last few games. Um, get him up, get him going, get some confidence in him. So when you need him, he can hit the ground running. I think it was equally important to see what you had in Jason Demers because who's the number eight? Well, you know, Ryan Murray is back skating again, but there's no guarantee he'll play again this year. Um, you might say, well, it's Marcus Niemelainen. Well, he's hurt right now. Yep, he's not playing sure for is. Bakersfield. So what are you going to do in, in, in game seven of, of the Western Conference final against the Colorado Avalanche? What are you going to do? Call up Phil Kemp? Like, no yeah. disrespect to Phil Kemp, but there's a guy with, you know, has just never done that before. So I think it was really smart to see Jason Demers get his 10 minutes tonight. Yes, he was certainly primary, uh, primarily at fault in the one goal, and we'll talk about that. But you know what? He also, uh, he also got, a, got, a, got a shot on net. He had three real heavy, hard plays down low in the defensive end. Um, it really didn't matter how he played today. Um, it's getting him into an NHL game at NHL speed again. Yeah. So if something bad happens and you do need him down the road, you know, the guy doing the doing the play by play that night is is not going and playing his first NHL game in two years. Right. <laughs> you know, at least he's had a chance to get his feet wet. I mean, who's kidding who? Neither Philip Broberg nor Jason Demers is going to replace any of the Oilers top six. Right. But to see them play tonight. And by the way, DeHarnier, I think I saw got. Um, um, what was his minutes tonight? It was um, 16.45 yeah. and a lot of it with Nurse. With Nurse as well, right? Where, so he's he filling in to, for CeCe. He was Cody CeCe's role, and I thought he was very good, right? So if we're, if we're thinking of game 83 and onward, to see Demers and Broberg and DeHarnay get lots of ice time, I think was exactly what the doctor ordered. Almost immaterial of the outcome tonight. This was an investment in the future, and I, and I thought it was a good investment. Were the returns mixed today? Yeah, sure. Uh, but again, I think I think uh, I think Jay Woodcroft is playing the long game here. Yeah. Well, not very mixed. I mean, six to one. So that's oh, yeah. most, mostly good returns. Yep. Uh, Nurse himself was the only def only Oiler to play twenty minutes, and he played twenty minutes and fourteen seconds. So hardly taxed uh, in this game. And then the rest of the defense were, you know, 19 for Ekholm, 19 for Kulak, 17 for Bouchard, 16 for DeHarnay, 14 for Broberg, 10 for Demers. Like they all, Demers took a minute or two away from each of the other guys as the seventh D man yeah. and just spelled them off a little bit here and there. And uh, I mean, he's the number four right shot defenseman in the organization since the Tyson Berry trade. I mean, the Oilers had four on the Oilers. But when Barry got traded for Ekholm, that went down to three. And there's really nobody with NHL experience uh, down in the minors. So I uh, might as well have a look at him. And under such good circumstances, 
a he's legitimately replacing a right shot defenseman, and so you got to you got to see what's going on. Yep. B the right shot defenseman is not injured. He's not suffered some kind of bad thing that's happened. He went home so that he could attend the birth of his child. I mean, his, his first child too. Right? His first so, yeah. child. Yeah, Extra yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like what happened with uh, Skinner in the year yeah. when he went home from California, and Campbell got you know some runway to to run with the net for a while and actually turned his game around for a while. And I mean, just good news there. And the fact that Demers not only got called up sort of for legitimate reasons, but he got called up to play probably his last NHL game, his 700th NHL game. And he happened to play that game in his old haunts where he played the first 300 games of his NHL career as a San Jose Shark. They did a nice and tribute for him up on the, yeah, up yeah, the yeah. scoreboard. So and, yeah. It's just just feel good all the way around. And even the one sort of scary bit where they put Ryan McLeod on injured reserve, <clears throat> that was only to make enough cap space to get yeah. uh, to get him up here. Yeah. And when Strictly he goes right back down yeah. after this game, because presumably the baby will have arrived by the time the order is playing Colorado on Tuesday, uh, when they send him back down, so happens that McLeod's 24 days that he needs to be on LTIR will have ended. And he's actually eligible to play next game. It just was... They had the luxury of of keeping him on the roster. Casey healed faster. They didn't want to have to wait 24 games of days mm-hmm. if he was ready in 16. But they knew he wouldn't play today, and so they made this move. And I thought just a, everything, all the tumblers fell in place for just another little feel-good story at the end of the year. And, and uh, good on you, Jason Demare. Seven years ago, there was uh, analytics people in particular that would have given a lot to have Jason Demers come to the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, yep. and uh, they, uh, uh, so we finally got to see him here just a, just a yep. day late and a dollar short. But, uh, well, uh, you know what? Good on you, Jason. I mean, congrats. Yeah, absolutely. You know, seven, 700 NHL games for a seventh round defenseman. That's, Bingo. You, you don't you don't get that very often so yeah that's for sure so uh where are we uh, your good thing next you oh that was your yeah the second good thing okay uh my second good thing i'm just going to pick uh one of the lower players out of the mix today and i thought they they all played pretty good you know but uh derek ryan i thought he had a very very nice game today what a good choice and he yeah thanks uh he was uh all over it with uh uh, a non-assist, but a uh, cult of hockey um, contribution to grade A shot on um, McDavid's 150th point, where he was involved in that puck battle in front where Fogel finally bunted it over to McDavid. But the reason that they, uh, San Jose didn't get it out of there was the two Oilers were battling hard for that puck. And then uh, McDavid came around the net to put it home. So... That one. And then, of course, there was the uh, the shorthanded goal right at the end of the second period, which essentially put this game to bed. And Oilers uh, got a, a they were dominating play in San Jose zone, and Nick Bukestad got a real cheap penalty for oh. I'm not sure what it was. I think maybe two minutes for being taller than the other guy. What a hold your nose call that was, eh? Wow. Just brutal. And you're thinking, <laughs> yeah. well, if they, you know, they're going to have a power play, they're going to carry over in the third, maybe they score, and there's 3-2, then there's a bunch of work to do. And instead, basically right off the face off, San Jose got the puck, but uh, Eric Carlson, they, they put pressure on him. I think it was Nugent Hopkins that pressured him. Then yep. it was uh, Ryan who uh, picked off the pass 
and skedaddled up the ice with it. And uh, uh, he made a nice cross-ice pass to uh, 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 Nugent Hopkins on the two-on-one, and Nuge delivered per- actually three-on-one, wasn't it? And Nuge yeah, because Nurse was the third man, right? Yeah. Nuge delivered perfectly back. And Ryan did something that some players don't do, uh, but some guys, especially goal scorers, do by nature. And that was after he passed the puck off, he went to the front of the net and he stopped. And he had a stick on the ice. (laughs) And when Nugent Hopkins delivered the pass back, he shot it into the empty net. And sometimes you see guys that just sort of wander past the net and you go, what are you doing, man? Not anticipating, you know, that chance that might come back. Well, he did that. And that that really put the game away, even as it did set the stage for my bad thing. Uh, And then in the third period, he again earned an assist on McDavid's. I know, uh, on... uh, Oh, yes, the Broberg goal. Yes. Or it was he who, who uh, won the puck in uh, just He was inside. the secondary assist, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just outside the blue line, I think, and he got it up to Leon, and then Leon did most of the, the work, and then uh, uh, he made the inside pass to Broberg, who uh, uh, did the kind of the round the horn. I think it hit the post. It hit the goal. Like, first of all, he tried to deke the goalie, and then it hit the post, and then it hit the goalie, and then he had to reach over and tap it in. But... Uh, uh, Ryan was the one who started that play. So when you look at a, a, a fourth-line forward who starts the game on the extra line, he plays almost 16 minutes, one goal, one assist, two points, plus three, uh, 159 on the penalty kill. Only Nuge played more in the PK than he did. And the power play was plus one on the day, and he was he was the one who scored that. And uh, just one shot, but two takeaways, and the only Oiler to be over 50% on the face-off dot at 56%. Yeah. That is a nice day's work, Derek no, Ryan. No you kidding. my second good thing. Yeah, good good pick. Um, and, you know, you're talking about, about Ryan stopping at the net there. <laughs> I, I know you and I have had this conversation before. I don't have any patience for people who refer to players as garbage players and all that kind of stuff. I just oh, don't have any Garbage collectors? As in garbage collectors or well, garbage players? No, I mean, no that's gar- two different things to yeah, me. Yeah, no, no garbage garbage players. Because and, and, my, mm-hmm. my immediate response is no. Every player at this level is a good player, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but often what separates veteran players from young players who haven't quite figured it out yet is veteran players know what spots to be in. And sometimes rookie players are just so hard busting their ass. They forget that the most important thing is to be in the right place. But a guy like Derek, Derek Ryan, who at 36 and who's been around the bend a couple of times, um, he knows he's not going to win a lot of foot battles. So in Derek Ryan's mind is, my job is to be in the right place. And mm-hmm. and just and that quality just immediately popped into my mind when you described that goal. Mm-hmm. On both ends of it, Ryan was yes. just in the right spot both times. Sure was, yeah. Right? Which uh, I, I really respect a guy who can think a game like he did on that. Yeah, beauty. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan. Of course, I'm a, a Golden Bears fan. Mm-hmm. Dating back to the 70s, <laughs> so I have a special rooting interest in former Golden Bears who make it to the Oilers, and it's a, a short but impressive list. And uh, that guy, after four years, it's not like he sort of stopped in CIS for one year while he was, uh, you know, sort of re- recalibrating after junior hockey. He played an overage season in junior. He played four years in the uh, uh, 
CIS hockey with the U of Alberta Golden Bears. He played one year in Europe and he played one year in the AHL after Carolina showed interest in him. And then he's been an NHL regular for what, last seven or eight years? Yeah, and all undrafted, right? All, yeah. Yeah, so all in the sort of, uh, uh, yeah, small, small guy who doesn't quite, you know, burn his way into the draft list and, and, and typically that's what you find in uh, uh, CIS or in general in undrafted forwards who eventually make it later. It's little guys like Annie Gord or, uh, you know, Martin St. Louis being an extreme example uh, of guy who uh, uh, wound up, you know, being a success by beating the odds at the NHL level. And just even just to make it and to have a career like Ryan has had is really beating the odds. And I, I really admire that player. Yeah, just a quick thought with, and it just c- kind of popped into my head. Two of the three Oilers right right shot D men today were seventh round draft picks. <laughs> Good one. Good one. And the third one was uh, what round did? Uh, uh, oh, first round, of course, Bouchard. Yeah. 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 I was thinking it was one seven and seven. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, Kurt. Let's turn our attention briefly to bad things. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I, I don't want to dwell on this, but hey, at, at the Cult of Hockey, we always believe in, in you know, in being honest and calling it the way we see it. And and that 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 first goal by the San Jose Sharks was, was certainly an unfortunate thing. Uh, I got to say, as soon as it happened, I said, oh, damn, I didn't want that to happen to Jason Demers today. <laughs> You know, I, I, I immediately felt bad. And I think anybody who's ever played a game probably felt bad because they've made the exact same play. I know I have. Um, and, and it was a case where the ironic thing was he was trying to make the safe play. Instead of trying to force the puck through, he was trying to reverse it. But it just kind of went off the end of his stick and bam, boom, and yeah. in it went, right? And, and as I said to you before we started the podcast, I'd be way more concerned if, he got exposed in terms of his lack of foot speed and something like that. This was a, this was a play that was, it was really, it was just an accident. It was a bad accident. He was certainly primary at fault. And at the time it, it created a one, one time, just, just enough for you to go, Ooh, <laughs> this feels a little uncomfortable, but I mostly mm-hmm. felt uncomfortable for him. And I'm really glad that, that the game ended up turning out the way it turned out for him. Um, but hey, when you're when you're when you're looking at cold hard facts and assessing a game, it certainly wasn't a good play at a good time. Um, right. And 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 it left him uh, the rest of the game trying to mop up for that, which I think to his credit, I think he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be uh, my choice for the bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm grading this game, and I'm going to be grading him out at a at a flat five this game despite that blunder which obviously is a is a minus yep. uh, i wound up you know obviously not costing them a whole hell of a lot other than the shutout i guess uh but at the end of the day uh he played uh, uh 10 minutes least of the Oilers defense crew and yet he led the crew in both hits and block shots with three, three of each, each right yeah 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 and a couple real nice hits. Uh, they made one hit just outside, I think, of the San Jose Blue Line. It looked like a guy was breaking out, and bam, he got, he got hit before he went anywhere. Yeah, he put this at least was early two guys game, on their going, Who the hell was that? Because I just yeah. didn't flat out recognize the, the, the type of play. And it turned out that's the new guy. Yeah, okay. 
that yeah. makes sense because you know that's just not a type of play that our guys generally do so anyway that uh and i'm not going to flunk him on his last career game because come on i'm just yeah. not going to do that agree i i agree 100 <laughs> not in a six to survive. one win i mean how <laughs> that'd be harsh yeah that's right agreed yeah you know what honestly i would have given him a five two i agree mm-hmm. completely with that grade so Thank you. All right. And now, uh, yeah. So my bad, bad for Bruce. Yeah. yeah. My bad thing was after they scored that shorthanded goal at the end of the second, they took their foot off the gas in the first five minutes of the third period. And I thought that was by far the worst five minutes that Edmonton played in this game. There's a couple of little sequences in the first period, but first five minutes just seemed to be played in reverse. And it was all in Edmonton's zone. Or when they did finally get the puck, they would make a weak dump out to center and it would be coming right back into at them. They wouldn't uh, uh, get the puck deep. Uh, you know, they, they wouldn't get over the blue line. They spent a lot of time defending. And yet they only gave up in the third period uh, six shots altogether and got six, 15 of their own and two goals. And once they sort of got through that five minutes, uh, they were fine. And in fact, they were in the ascendant. And, and, you know, once San Jose couldn't break through in that early surge in the third, they had nothing left after that. And it was all Oilers down the stretch. So this is sort of a very minor, uh, a very, very minor thing to uh, be moaning and groaning about. But uh, it was just a few minutes where they took their foot off the gra- gas. And it, so to me, they played a 55-minute game today. Mm-hmm. And you want to be in the habit of playing a 60-minute game uh, in the uh, in the playoffs. That said, I'm just going to have a quick look at the event summary for the start of the third period. San Jose shot attempts. First one was Hurdle blocked by DeHarnay. Second one was Stern blocked by Kulak. Third one was LeBanc blocked by Kulak. Uh, they got one shot on net through by Sturm. He picked up the rebound of that one that Kulak blocked, and he got a decent shot on net. Uh, Zetterland got one shot on net, and then Carlson's shot was blocked by Fogel. And uh, then Bordelow's shot was blocked by DeHarnay, and all of a sudden we're five minutes into the third period, and they've only got two shots that actually went through. Mm -hmm. Even though Edmonton was on the defensive, their defensemen were blocking the shooting lanes and taking away the shots. So this is a, this is a mild criticism indeed, with uh, uh, some good in it. But they 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 bent but didn't break. I think that's the takeaway from the from all that information. Yeah, you know it's funny. I was I was watching them uh, um, on a couple of sequences in their own zone, and and the difference over the last couple of uh, of seasons to now is the size and reach of the guys on their blue line. They're huge. Like, yeah, you know, like there's <laughs> there there are fewer feet and inches available in the in the Oilers zone than there than there has been in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what it's 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 not it's not all inches and feet, but it's a lot of it, right? It it mm-hmm. it, it it just enables you to take up a, a little bit more of this lane and a little bit more of that lane. And that adds up o- over, over, over a while. And, and I, th- I think the one sequence, it was DeHarnay and nurse out there, like yeah. both those guys, they've got, you know, they've got the wingspans of Eagles for God's Almost sake. Almost 13 feet between the two of them. Oh, like there was, no, there was, 
there was no clear lane open, right? And it was it's it's uh, it's a nice position to be in. Yeah, well, they've got uh, um, they've got a big team now. They do, and they've added big players. All the guys they added this year are big players, <clears throat> from Costin uh, to uh, to Ackholm to DeHarnay to um, Bugstad. They're all like 210, 215 pounds. They're all six three and taller, and they're all regulars. So, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're they're uh, they're going to be out there. You know, on an ongoing basis, there's always one or two large men on the ice for Edmonton Oilers, and they're a tougher team than than uh, than they were, and they're winning more battles than they used to win. And hundred percent, uh, yeah. It's it's a uh, uh, an upgrade for for sure. So. Okay, finally, we got our numbers. Kurt, you have a few numbers today, but pick the best yeah, one or ones. I'll, I'll pick one, whether it's the best one or not, I'm not too sure. But um, okay. you'll remember early on in the year, lots of people, some nights me included, would whine that the Oilers were constantly having to play from behind. Mm-hmm. They were starting slow <laughs> and playing from behind. And sure, uh, the Oilers have the horses that they're never really out of most games, but still, that's not a winning recipe. Well... The Oilers, all of a sudden, don't look now, have not trailed in 358 minutes of play. That uh, sounds good. Right? Talk about turning <laughs> the tables. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in games like this, and, and, and what it does is it effectively forces the other team to change their game, if only subtly. You know, it's um, you know, the, other, the other night when they... When they uh, when they took on uh, Anaheim and I thought Anaheim to their credit played a pretty good hockey game um, certainly early, mm-hmm. but as yep. soon as the order scored, well, now you, you can't just stay in your defensive shell. You've got to right. punch back somehow. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think those one, nothing leads are really underrated <laughs> because it's, uh, it's suddenly it's okay. Your turn now. Oh, uh, good luck and with that. Yeah. And so all of a sudden that other club, probably can't play the game that they wanted to play. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's lots of reasons why these guys are on such a good run uh, since Christmas. Um, But I I think um, increasingly getting out in front and playing with the lead is a big factor in all that. Yeah, well, they're 12-0-1 now in their last 13. And since they unfortunately lost in the overtime, that game against... uh, Vegas, which could wind up being the difference. I mean, if they won that game in overtime, they're currently tied for first place with the tiebreaker. So it's pretty big. But since uh, they went on the the road trip where they beat uh, Arizona 5-4 and then they beat Vegas 7-4, and in both games they gave up two goals in the first period, and in both games they answered each goal within a minute. Mm -hmm. Arizona went 1-0, bam, 1-1. 2-1 Arizona, bam, 2-2. And in the game in Vegas, Vegas scored early in the first period, bam, 1-1. One, one. Then the Oilers actually got uh, ahead 2-1. Vegas tied it, and bam, within a minute was 3-2 for Edmonton again. And then they never trailed again for the whole rest of that game. And they've been running from the uh, from in front. And they're gotten to the point now that uh, in the last five games, they've only given up three goals. Three goals in five games. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had four games all year out of the first 75. This was my number last game. 
uh, where they gave up one or zero goals. Actually, it was always one. And then the last five games, five in a row. So the majority of their one or zero goal against games have come in the last five games. Hmm. It's just like a different team, and they've got a different outlook in terms of how they're locking down neutral zone, how they're, you know, how they're, how they're playing safe and smart with the lead. And, you know, it's never perfect. It's never perfect. It's hockey. Yep. But uh, they, they're going to have uh, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of success playing that the way they're playing and they're having a lot of success. I mean, 12 on ones off the charts. Good it food. is. So, now, my number, I'm just going to pick a starting, I don't know if they started, to be honest. I can't remember. It was hours ago now. But uh, a quintet of players who spent a lot of time together. Just look at their simple boxcar stats in this game. Evan Bouchard, zero goals, two assists, two points, plus four. Uh, with partner Matthias Ekholm, zero goals, one assist, one point, plus six. And then uh, with the forward line of Zach Hyman, one goal, one assist, two points, plus two. He's the laggard. And up, also up front, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, who's just run right through the tape of 100 points today. But one goal, two assists, three points, plus four. One, two, three, four. That's a nice day's work. Mm-hmm. And finally, Connor McDavid, two goals, one assist, three points, plus four. So the five guys among them are plus 20. Of course, that's plus four for all five guys on four different goals as a, a general average. Uh, but also, what is that? Four goals and seven assists. And without any kind of problems at the defensive end of the sheet. That's just dominance by that group of players. And I mean, those five pretty darn good hockey players, Kurt. You guys, San Jose just can't match that right now, and they just they just yep. owned the sheet when they were on it. Yep, and you know you could take those five guys off the ice and put your next best five on, and I still think the Oilers have the better of the two teams. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the rest of the team outscored them two to one, so there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but today it was really that big five that had terrific games, and they're all going to get very fine grades. Uh, yeah. They were dominant with uh, mm-hmm. several shifts in particular. They just, they, San Jose had no answer. Yeah. yeah fair enough. All right. Uh, any last thoughts? Any, 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 maybe we'll do some kind of podcast before the playoffs start, but I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the floor for a minute to how you see this team heading into the postseason. Um, I think the Oilers' bottom six and bottom pairings are considerably better than last year mm-hmm. uh as a result if everything else is equal in a series i think the owners are win will win because they simply have the better players right they've had the better players other years but everything else wasn't equal other teams had superior depth to the Oilers. Right. they always had the better top players but they didn't have top to bottom yeah, whereas I think it's flipped this year. And and who knows, the playoffs are a big roll of the dice and all sorts of mm-hmm. things can happen. But I like their chances, uh, especially mm-hmm. considering the major heater that they're on right now. Yeah, well, they certainly seem to have got their team game together and they've got it figured out and uh, they're winning in different ways from, mm-hmm. you know, four in season five, four was kind of your standard win. Yep. And that was... Uh, and they won a lot of games of that nature, four, three, five, four, six, four, six, five. But it was uh, 
uh, it's now come under the realm of they're more in control. So you're seeing more zeros and ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, the biggest change is that the orders now have a top four. That's clearly, obviously identifiable as a top four and then a bottom two or bottom three, depending on the deployment of that game. Mm-hmm. And the difference between that and between having a top pair that faced all the toughs and did most of the penalty killing, and then let's shelter the other guys as much as we can, uh, it's just so much better. I mean, you could see Nurse is so much more relaxed out there. You can see, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think CeCe's play has come around not great, but I think he's been playing better. And and Ekholm's just had this influence just up and down the lineup and across certainly to to Bouchard as well, where every player on the team kind of slots differently. Yep. And even Nurse, where you st- look at the ice time and the and the uh, competition, and you say, well, he's number one he was before, and he's still number one, but he's still his he slots now into a top four instead of into the top two, and you better get her done, Darnell. You know. There's and, nobody behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not <laughs> nobody, but you know, you got you got third pairing kids behind you, and now you got now you got another very top notch left defenseman who's going to come out in the ice when you go off. Yep. And uh, it just makes a huge difference. So. Yeah. And Brett Kulak is your third third yeah, pairing left handed D. I'm comfortable with that. I don't know. He was a good left D last year, and this year yeah. they tried him in the top four, and he had his moments. I thought he kind of kind of broke even, to tell you the truth. But uh, mm-hmm. I think he's uh, better suited as you know third pairing, so he slots into a little better spot. He's a four or five, and if you know if he's playing five, that means you know he's really it should be in his comfort zone. Agreed. If he's playing four, you're kind of pushing the limits. So yep. right now he's clearly he's clearly five or he's clearly on the third pairing, and it's solid. Mm-hmm. okay well let's uh let's leave it there shall we kurt and uh yeah as always a pleasure to chat with you and uh look forward to doing a little more of it during the playoffs at least we'll have some kind of pre-playoff pod i would hope with a three-headed monster and and uh look forward to that but uh, uh for today i'll say thank you very much for pinch hitting for uh david it was my pleasure it's always great to talk to you my friend and uh, go oilers yeah And thank you as well to the listeners. Thanks for listening. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.